For the past two episodes, we've shared about two instances of horrific ethical injustices done to black people. And our intention with this was to bring attention to the ways our medical community has failed black people and other groups. These next two episodes will build upon this intention, but will instead take a more broad approach to look at race in two contexts, genetics and medicine. One of the first things to define in these next two episodes is the concept of race. It has been debated, especially recently, if race is a social construct or something genetic. And this will be the main focus of today's episode. In preparation for this episode, we have read several books, listened to TED Talks, and read numerous articles. And we'll be linking all of those in the show notes so you guys can read more if you're interested. Uh, We also want to thank our friend and fellow graduate student Adelaide Tovar for contributing helpful comments and ideas as we work to carefully approach this important issue of race. So as Rachel and I begin this podcast, we want to humbly acknowledge that we do not pretend to be experts in this topic, and we are only scratching the surface of the many facets that is race and genetics. Further, we are white people, and we acknowledge our privilege to think about how race affects medicine, genetics, and healthcare without us having to experience those injustices ourselves. We almost didn't want to do this series of podcasts just because we were worried about our words potentially not being taken well or just us saying something that we didn't mean to say, but we realized that taking action is important. So please give us grace as we discuss this difficult subject, and we are constantly listening, growing, and open to corrections. Yeah, I mean, definitely we, you know, like Emma said, we're not experts on this and we invite feedback. So if you have a reaction to this, please reach out and engage with us and we'd like to continue the conversation. So let's talk about race. Race, as defined in the dictionary, is a population within a species that is distinct in some way, especially a subspecies. The concept of race is debated. Europeans who visited Africa saw differences in skin tones between Europeans and Africans and called them black. But at this point, there was no societal differences between the races. The concept of racism is not a new one and is not unique to America. We see references to looking down at black skin color in Shakespeare's play Othello, where Othello comments on his skin color and worries that he's undesirable and out of place in Venice. And this was in the, I think, 1500s when Shakespeare was writing. And scientists in the 1600s were intent on classifying the races and also conquering Africa. Racism wasn't just present in England either. Portugal and Spain, for instance, are considered some of the pioneers of transatlantic slave trade in the 1530s. And a lot of this was driven by Africans looking different from Europeans and Europeans perceiving um, that as them being less than people. The systemic concept of the white race only really began in the 1700s because of a series of laws called the Virginia Slave Codes. Before we discuss the Virginia Slave Codes, we need to travel back in time and talk about some history first. So if we go back to the ye old time of 1547 in jolly old England, we'll find that Edward VI established the Vagrancy Act of 1547. And this act said that any person who was out of work for two or three days would be branded with a V and sold into slavery for two years. Thankfully, this law was appealed after three years, but it goes to show that slavery was not uncommon in England, even among white people. Granted, it was different from the slavery that America came to be known for. 
In early America, black and white people were used for cheap labor and were called bond laborers and worked for basically nothing in order to pay for their debts. We often hear this talked about in history books as indentured servitude. The first Africans who came to America in 1619 were part of this sort of indentured servitude. At this point in history, black people and white people didn't have a wedge driven between them. And this was demonstrated by Bacon's rebellion in 1676, when blacks and whites of all ages banded together for a cause. And this ended up scaring the ruling elite at the time, because they worried that since these European indentured servants and the African indentured servants could band together in one instance, they thought they might band together in another instance and try and take the ruling elite down. Historians believe that this is what caused the 1705 Virginia Slave Codes to be passed. The 1705 Virginia Slave Codes changed everything between black and white people. The purpose of these laws was to keep the black and white indentured servants separated and to breed contempt between them so that they wouldn't band together again, like Emma was saying. The laws accomplished this by making the white people feel superior to black people. Some of the laws included whites not being able to be employed by blacks and that owners couldn't whip their white Christian slaves naked without an order from a justice of the peace. So we can only assume that they could whip their black slaves. These codes ended up breeding dissension between whites and blacks, which was the goal of these codes and is argued by historians as the beginning of racial tension in our country. Yeah, this was tragic to read about, but important to understand and be aware of. It's easy to look at the legislation happening in America and point to that as being the beginning of racism, but it does go back a long way in European history. So getting back to science, what was the consensus among scientists regarding race in the early years of America? Scientists of the day were quick to come up with many hypotheses, and some even based their hypotheses in what they thought were fact. However, most scientists today disagree with these hypotheses. One of these was craniometry, which is a piece of evidence that many scientists pointed to as dividing humanity into five different races. But this has pretty much been overturned today. Craniometry is the study of human skulls, and Samuel Morton is the person who put forth that there were five races of people, which he based on this study of human skulls and being able to identify different races from each other based on the skulls. Forensic teams today still use this study of human skulls to identify races of criminals, but it's been shown on numerous occasions that their identifications are really no better than random chance. Getting back to race, another example of evolutionary biologists that tried to classify humans into different races was Carl von Linnaeus from the 1700s and Johann Friedrich Blumenbach from the late 1700s. So Linnaeus's men attempted to characterize the different races by categorizing people based off of hair color, eye color, lip size, and even how females in the race acted and what they thought about rules and laws. Blumenberg established the term Caucasian and was quoted as saying, I have allotted the first place to the Caucasian for the reasons given below, which make me esteem it to the primeval one. Blumenbach also believed that the original race was white and that darker colored skin arose from degenerative environmental factors. Now we know this is completely false and that Homo sapiens originated in Africa. And this brings up the question of genetics and its involvement in race. Emma and I both read this fascinating book called DNA is Not Destiny, written by Stephen Heine. I'm going to read a quote from the book because I think it's pretty powerful and sets up our point quite well. 
Genetics is all about the power of essences. We think essences are immutable, invisible, and internal, yet we know that they're there. Genes match all the key attributes of essences. Shared essences are what bind people together. We think that someone's DNA tells us exactly who they are and that this never changes, and thus you can tell a measure of a person by their DNA. This simply isn't true. Just because people are different from us in looks doesn't mean we are better than them or have to be prejudiced against them. In genetics, we are discovering more and more environmental factors that cause the regulation of our DNA to change and thus can change things about people. Yeah, it's funny. I remember in school, like teachers talking to me about genetics and describing it as like, oh, it's your body chemistry and that's like what makes you you. So it's very much this idea that's pushed um, even from a young age in school. Uh, but when you consider that someone's DNA is what defines them, this can easily lead to racist thoughts because you say, oh, someone is black. They probably have worse health because studies show that black people are more likely to get heart disease. Genetics is then established as the reason why two groups are different from each other. But when we look at the DNA evidence, this just isn't true. When we think of animal species, we think of them as very separate. A cat can't mate with a dog and make a cat-dog hybrid. Sorry, any cat-dog fans out there. Darn. <laughs> Sometimes when we look at races, we equate them with species and think they are very separate. But in reality, they just represent a wide range of how the human species looks. Just like dog breeds represent the wide range and how the dog species looks. When we talk about height, we don't have people who are just four feet and people who are just six feet. We have many gradations in between. And skin color is another example of this. Different amounts of melanin drive the many skin colors we see in our world. This quote and statistic from Discover Magazine sums up the lack of evidence that race is genetic. On average, two individuals in Africa are more genetically dissimilar from each other than either one of them is from an individual in Europe or Asia. This completely bucks the concept of race on its head because by the definition of race in our culture, we would think that two African people would be more similar. But that's not the case. Rather, the more important thing to look at is ancestry or where someone came from. When we look at ancestry in 23andMe and other companies, there are genetic traits that are tied to certain geographical areas, like sickle cell disease, which we'll talk about in a minute. However, there are still many groups of people who have not been genetically tested, so there's a lack of resolution for those who are part of those groups. And for some ethnic groups, only a small number of people have been sequenced, which leads to questions about how representative these samples truly are. Further, each company has its own proprietary reference data set, which means you can get conflicting results on ancestry, especially if you're in one of those populations where they don't have a lot of data. We've mentioned this in the past as well, that some clinical trials are run without considering different ancestral groups, and thus have made conclusions that were based on one ancestral group more than another. It's important to note here that these trials are often run looking at the five races, but could be much more informative if they focused on ancestry as opposed to the five races, especially considering the vast amount of genetic differences between people in different areas of Africa. Heine makes the point in the book that our understanding of genetic composition of ancestral populations is built on a significant leap of faith. This leap of faith is often used to provide health information for different races. We'll talk about this more in the next podcast about race and medicine, but wanted to share one example here now. So sickle cell anemia is being brought up often as a rationale for there being genetic similarity between all black people. 
So for background, sickle cell anemia or sickle cell disease, it's also referred to, is a blood disease that causes your red blood cells to be shaped like sickles or curved C-shapes. It can cause many health complications, but it is protective against malaria. Historically, this disease has been found in more African Americans than Europeans. This disease is recessive. So if we go back to high school genetics, we know that that means you have, um, you must have one copy of the gene variant from both of your parents to have the disease. If you have only one copy of the gene variant, this is when it's protective against malaria, which is why we still see this disease circulating in the gene pool today. Often this disease is used to uh, say that it's genetic, it's for all black people, and I'll admit I've used this example to say race is a genetic thing, but upon further reading, I changed my viewpoint and admitted I was wrong. So sickle cell anemia or disease is most found in areas where there's water. So West Central Africa is what most people think of, but it's also found in high prevalence in India and the Mediterranean Peninsula, where there's also a lot of water. Since sickle cell prevents malaria, it makes sense that these areas would have more people with sickle cell disease because of the water areas being breeding grounds for mosquitoes. The areas of Africa that are drier do not have many instances of this disease, which demonstrate that this isn't a black disease, as some doctors have tried to push it, but rather a disease that's driven by geography and evolution. With this information, we return to our original question. What is the definition of race? Many are arguing that it is important to focus on geographic ancestry because that is more indicative of potential genetic contributions than just identifying as black or white. In 2000, Craig Venter and Francis Collins reported upon the completion of the Human Genome Project that humans are 99.9% similar to each other, and the 0.1 difference is not linked to race. Thus, race is not defined by genetics. This 0.1% is more associated with appearance, which can sometimes be indicative of ancestry, but not always, as we mentioned earlier. Race is truly a social construct and is not based in genetics. One example of race being decided socially is hypodescendants. So you may not have heard the term hypodescent. This means that traditionally, children of mixed ancestry are assigned the ethnicity of the subordinate group, which in America is non-white. This is played out with people like Barack Obama, who has a black father and a white mother and is considered black. In this case, even though he has 50% DNA from his white mother and 50% DNA from his black father, he is considered 100% black socially, which is not reflective of his genetic ancestry. Our goal with Steministas is to show you both sides of the story, and we wanted to make sure to do that in this podcast as well. I read A Troublesome Inheritance by Nicholas Wade, which has been a very controversial book that argues that genetics undergirds race. To preface this, this book has been denounced by many, including the very scientists whose studies Wade uses in his book to make points. In my opinion, after reading this book, I was very unconvinced with Wade's arguments, and he did not have enough evidence to support his points. What stood out to you most from the book? Wade made some provocative points about the Industrial Revolution and certain groups thriving because of certain behaviors like thrift, nonviolence, patience, literacy. And he was saying that these traits made people successful or not successful. And he argues that behind these behaviors, there could be genetic factors driving this. While this isn't a wrong idea, there is no way to test this. And it's really just a correlation that he made. 
There's definitely something to say with nature versus nurture. We know that individuals are shaped by both their genetics or their nature and their environment or their nurture. The relative contribution of nature versus nurture is unclear and can change depending on what genetic traits you're looking at. Yes, exactly. In genetics, we define heritability as how much people's genetics account for the differences in their traits. For example, height is a very heritable trait, with about 80% of height being explained for by genetics. However, height is what we would call a complex trait because many genes can contribute to height. It's not just one gene. However, there are other traits like sickle cell anemia, which are considered simple, monogenic, or Mendelian traits, meaning that only one gene contributes to getting the disease. Alexander disease, which Rachel studies, is another example of this. Getting back to Wade's point on nature versus nurture, it's hard to predict how certain traits are passed down in families without doing identical twin studies. Twins are the perfect way to study these questions because genetically they are the same. So that means you can determine the effect of the environment on the trait because the genetics are not changing. Wade asserts in his book that race is not purely cultural. He argues that if this was the case, then you should be able to modernize a tribal society by instituting Western institutes, and this simply does not work. This is an interesting concept. Um, Is he basically saying that there must be something inherently genetic underlying this? He is, but this is where the book stops. He doesn't get into how this would be tested, but just leaves it out there for people to think about, and he implies it's true without any evidence. While it's an interesting point and one that should be followed up with potential studies, correlation does not equal causation. And in this book, Wade relies on people's desire for correlation to equal causation and just leaves them to figure out what they think. Right. Um, And these sorts of books can be dangerous because when you read a book, you assume someone knows a lot about the topic they're writing on um, and that they're trusted. But in the case of this book, it sounds like Wade is making a lot of big leaps. For sure. One of his big examples for race being genetic is the aggression gene or the MAOA gene. And this gene's been shown to vary between race and ethnicities, which indicates that it's under selective pressure, meaning that we see the distribution of the specific gene variant changing over time. This gene is involved in neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, which are important with how individuals process the world. And this gene's been termed the warrior gene or the aggression gene because mice with a mutation in this gene were found to be more aggressive. And a study was done on an aggressive Dutch family and found that the mutation in this gene was present in those aggressive individuals. It's estimated that Caucasians are less likely to have the mutated variant of this gene, and that Blacks are next likely and Asians are most likely. Wade uses this evidence to say that uh, this explains aggression seen in Black cultures. The first thing you learn in genetics is that most complex traits are formed by the interaction of many genes. They're called epistatic traits. There are many physical traits like this, but almost every behavioral trait is due to interaction of many genes. People have tried to find the gay gene, the high IQ gene, and others. And when they do find these genes, these genes may contribute 0.1% to the trait and don't fully control it like what is reported in news sources. Yeah, and this is where we can fall short as science communicators. Labeling genes as the warrior gene or the gay gene is very problematic and misleading to the public. 
In the case of the MAOA gene, it's become this warrior or aggression gene and is now sensationalized. Looking at genes this way could lead to a more eugenic mindset to try and avoid the specific bad gene variant or the mindset that has been perpetuated that the specific MAO variant is correlated with race. Some descriptions, even some that we've used ourselves on this podcast, like describing the genome as a recipe book, while this is helpful in explaining basic genetics concepts, it can be hurtful in leaving out the role that the environment plays in how these recipes are used and applied. And in the case of disease, these qualifiers about a sickle cell disease variant or Parkinson's variant can be helpful, but the sensationalized view of genes is often incorrect because of the complexity of the traits that people are trying to ascribe to just one gene. In summary, race and genetics is a complicated topic, and we've only scratched the surface of it through this podcast. We don't want to downplay the differences between people groups by saying that race isn't genetic. Rather, we hope that race is seen as more of a social concept, and that the differences focused on between people groups are environmental and cultural differences, and not genetic differences. If you're interested in learning more about this, we encourage you to check out the sources below, in our podcast, and also check out the Twitter page, Black and Genetics. Last week, this page had a whole day on Twitter of addressing the racism inherent in genetics, and there were some really insightful discussions. 